Before we talk to former Navy SEAL and best-selling author Tom Shea all about his ultra running, let's touch base with Ryan Clayton. So I thought I'd reach out to a friend of the show, Ryan Clayton. We're collaborating on an Amazon TV show. He's an ultra runner, super talented YouTuber and videographer. Ryan, thanks for joining me again. What's up, Rob? Thanks for having me on. I wanted, cool. I wanted to, to reach out. You gave me the idea. I wasn't initially going to do the Air Vipa Strong 100 miler. And then we were kind of chatting about it. And you're like, yeah, I, you know, my work life, family life so busy right now. I think I'm going to do the 100 miler, but over the course of the entire like race, which is April 17th through the 26th. And that got me thinking the same thing. So I really appreciate it because I ended up signing up for the hundred, which I wasn't going to. Is that still what you're planning on doing? Yeah. Um, and like, it's just like with that, like I've been training basically all winter and spring for, uh, a hundred miler. I was supposed to do the cruel jewel on May 15th and that just got canceled like a week ago. Uh, so I've got, all this training built up and obviously we are all, you know, in the same boat with the social, uh, the new normal that we have and all the races are getting canceled and trails are closed and, uh, it's just harder and harder to go, uh, out and do stuff. You can't, you can't be with other people running. Uh, so this is when I saw it at first, I was, you know, like, uh, like a virtual race. I'm not really sure about this, but then when I read more into it, just how it's supporting, you know, the company or Vipa and just all the people that are behind that. And I mean, I've gained, you know, so much, uh, from the people that are all involved in that and just yeah. doing this race to support them. And then the fact that you can do it over a couple of days is really appealing. And I'm not going to go out there and try and do the hundred miles in one shot. I mean, you need a lot of support for that. And, um, I'm just, I'm just going to split it up over the course of the 10 days and see if I do it in six or seven days. Awesome. If it takes me 10 days, you know, that's fun too. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah just using this training for something and supporting a company that I really, I really like out there. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I mean, come, come join Ryan and I, you know, check out air Vipa strong and do the hundred mile option, you know, click on the belt buckle option and, spread it out over a few days. It's no big deal. This is just for fun for the most part. I mean, some people take it serious, but I'm treating this as, you know, good motivation and inspiration to get outside to actually get back to training because, you know, I've, my routine's totally off. Like everyone else is in the whole world. I'm not used to working from home and a lot of people are out of jobs. I'm very thankful to be able to work from home. So um, yeah. check it out, support just an awesome race company that's, you know, supports a lot of people and it sounds weird saying this, but there's going to be races that go bankrupt and disappear and there's going to be races that get through this. And I think it's really important to support the races you absolutely love. And I think new races will develop from this and maybe even cooler events transpire. But in the meantime, the really great ones need support. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it's just, you know, in this time, like we have the opportunity to support some people and some races and, you know, why not? It's not that expensive. Uh, it's 
a lot cheaper than most races out there. And, um, you're also, uh, I think it was like 10% is going towards, um, yeah. uh, doing, going towards COVID. So it's, you know, it's a good opportunity to get out there and push yourself a little bit and, uh, you know, donate some money, support yeah. some good people out there. And, and Ryan, last, last shout out would be supporting, you know, companies, race directors that we love. I know you're part of the ultra red team. Uh, I am also, I wanted to ask you what ultras are you going to wear during, during your hundred mile effort during air Viper strong? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the, most of my recent runs have been on the roads, like, because the trails around here, some of them are closed and the rest of them are crowded from what I've heard. Uh, and so really the last couple of weeks, almost all my runs have been on the roads, you know, like early morning or like middle of the day where I'm trying to avoid people, you know, like, honestly, like I'm not looking to go out on the trails and, uh, you know, be, uh, making those a lot more crowded than they already are. So my road shoes, I just got a box yesterday of a new, a brand new pair of Torrens, uh, a pair of Torin plush that I haven't tried yet. Uh, They're nice. And then, uh, yeah, so I'll be I'll be wearing those, and I also have a pair of the Vihos uh, that are nice for uh, when you need a little bit a um, little bit extra uh, stability um, below you. They're a little bit firmer than the Torins, so they're nice to change it up. But yeah. During these days, I'm going to have to be running, you know, at least at least 10 miles a day. So I'm going to be switching shoes up every other day, uh, making sure that I have uh, some good uh, fresh cushion underneath my feet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's cool. It's good to hear some road options. I mean, I'm I'm excited to try the provision, the new provisions. Uh, my joke. Oh, I, I got those two yesterday. Yeah, those look. Those are a great shoe. I and I don't know if this is going to be for every shoe um, that they make, obviously. But I had the Provision twos, and I kid you not, I put six hundred miles on them. Um, yeah. And I've I've recently, you know, been able to to upgrade. But dang, those shoes lasted a long time. And I'm probably going to use Timps. I'm falling in love with that shoe. It's it's not yeah. as like hardcore as a Lone Peak, um, and I'm thinking the Olympus are great for giant climbs and descents, and like a little bit more cushion. But the Timp is kind of in the middle, so I have a mm-hmm. I have a pair of twos that I haven't cracked open yet. I'm still working on the 1.5s, but that is yeah, turning into one. Really nice. It's turning into one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I use the Lone Peaks and the Temps on the trails. Uh, and then my past hundreds have usually gone with the Olympus. Um, but I usually save those for races, like the last 50 miles or so. Um, but yeah, most of my miles on the trails are in the Lone Peaks and the Temps. Temp 2s are nice. They are a lot sleeker than the last model. Um, so when you put them on, like they rock forward really nice. They feel fast. Um, they're good shoes. Cool. Very cool. Uh, so last thing, and I don't mean to take so much of your time. I know you got to get to work here. Um, That's all good. <laughs> how, how's the TV show coming along? I mean, I've, we've been collaborating. You're doing vast majority of like the actual editing and like color grade and music selections and all the real fine details of producing and editing. Um, 
how do you feel things are coming along? Yeah, great. Um, all the episodes are cut. Um, pretty much final versions of, uh, like if you are into video editing, final versions of all the timelines are just about locked. Uh, they're, there's going to be tweaks here and there, obviously, um, but still have to go through, put on like any graphics, lower thirds, uh, working on just a lot of things that go into a TV show, like the intro segment, the end credits, um, going to do some Google earth, uh, fun stuff. And then, you know, after, after all of that, what you see on screen, there's going to be like the color grade, uh, which takes, you know, a lot of it takes a lot of work and then mixing the audio um and then pretty much after that we're going to be just uh making sure that everything's good to go with amazon uh we have a lot of steps to make sure that that goes smoothly with them get yeah. up there so yeah. everyone can see it uh but yeah there's i mean it's you know this has been an awesome project it's been a lot of work but we are close the end is in sight you can see the light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> yeah so so you're thinking first episode is is may yeah for sure mm -hmm. okay as long as i mean it'll be it'll like we'll it'll be ready it'll be delivered as long as amazon as long as everything goes smoothly on the distribution side uh people should be able to start watching it in may at some point yeah i'm i'm really excited i mean after and for the listeners background, Ryan took a huge risk um, collaborating with me on this project because the Triple Crown, there were no guarantees that, I mean, I could have gotten injured mile 10 of the very first event and Ryan had basically signed up and, you know, put together travel plans and everything for three kind of massive uh, trips where he was taking four days out of his life you know, in chunks to capture this. And I mean, Ryan's capturing 650 miles of a race or attempting to, and there's just so yeah. much story behind it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you took the risk. I'm glad we got the race done. And mm -hmm. what are your yeah. thoughts? I mean, last, last quick question after having watched all the footage, is there like one kind of takeaway that you're willing to share? Cause I've seen it all. And I think it's amazing, but it was my experience. Like, I, I really think it captures the essence of a, an ultra and a, especially a 200 mile type essence. I mean, what are your, yeah. what, what are you willing to share? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like, I would say two main takeaways that I've got from, uh, you know, traveling to all these races uh, watching all the footage over and over and over, editing, putting it all together, uh, and trying to put your story together. Uh, two main takeaways are that 200s are very different than 100 milers. And so I think this is going to be like a really, uh, really good educational piece for a lot of people that are interested in 200 milers. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of, you're just going to be in there, you're going to be in the moment uh, during all these episodes, and you're going to see. Um, some of the differences between hundreds and two hundreds. Um, then the other thing is just kind of like the more abstract uh, piece of all this is just how much uh, each of us have. Uh, I don't know, trying not to get too philosophical, but like how much each of us have like inside of us that we, we just like the well is so deep that we can go 
uh, during these races. We have so much more than we think we have. Uh, when you think you're done, you're not even close to using up um, all the everything that your body has to give you. I mean, the mind, there's so many battles there that the body can go for days and days. And it's just, it's really inspiring to see something like that, to see all these runners that uh, come through and do these races. Um, but then, you know, to follow, uh, to follow your journey on the triple crown, it's just, you know, it's really, really cool. I appreciate that. I mean, that's the reason why I'm doing this. I'm not trying to make money. Um, it's just like the book. I want to inspire people to make healthy changes and to show them that they're capable of more, you know, than they would ever, ever realize. And I think it's a perfect segue into my episode with Tom Shea, uh, you know, former Navy SEAL who went to Bud's five times, didn't give up. And yeah, I think he actually found a very similar conclusion. So Ryan, thanks for joining me. We're going to have a whole episode with Ryan coming up in May. Uh, that will parallel the release of the Amazon TV show. So, Ryan, thanks for taking your time this morning. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Welcome, everybody. This is Tom Shea, retired Navy SEAL and ultra marathon runner, and welcome to Training for Ultra. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man, so... You keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live and you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, the, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. <laughs> I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. <That's> so classic. <laughs> oh my God, you because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Welcome to episode 131 of the Training for Ultra Podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a fun episode. Tom Shea, decorated Navy SEAL, best-selling book author, he also does a podcast. He does some leadership coaching and just all around great to speak with him. It's been way overdue, but he has great insights. He lays down some of the most fundamental things that I think every one of us ultra runners, trail runners can pick up a few tips from. So enjoy that conversation. Big thank you again to Ryan Clayton for taking some time to uh, talk about the Air Vipus Strong race that he's doing. And yeah, shout out to Ultra. Also, a really quick, and, and this is going to be an abbreviated episode for sponsorship mentions, Kogala, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Destination Trail, Patreon. I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out those companies. 
you know, I, I use all of their products and believe in all their races and products and people and teams. So definitely check those out. Patreon supporters, real quick shout out to Richard M, David C, Brian G, M, Megan C, Ray S, Brian S, Todd A, Matthew K, Pat P. All you guys are awesome. We have new tiers, so I can give you a shout out at a certain tier and try to involve you guys more. So hopefully in an upcoming episode, either next one or two from now, we're going to hear from just kind of a hodgepodge of huge Training for Ultra supporters. But, you know, these are these are going to be some quick guys, some beginners, just ultra runners from all different um, spectrums of, of caliber running, and then also probably all over the world. So it'll be fun to get that group together. But yeah, again, big thank you to them. Big thank you to Kogala, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, and Destination Trail. Enjoy this episode. I'm joined here by Tom Shea. He's a retired, highly decorated Navy SEAL, author of a best-selling book, Unbreakable, and he is also the the founder of Unbreakable Leadership Training. He's had me on his, his podcast, The Unbreakable Podcast. Tom, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is long overdue. And in a sense, I'm kind of excited to have waited as long as I did because there's been some exciting kind of news on your side. The world's changed a heck of a lot since I think we talked in October, November. Um, how have you been, though? Oh, wow. It has been normal. Really? And I say that not tongue in cheek. I'm used to this. The chaotic life of changing every day and reinventing yourself. Uh, so for me, it was a normal course of life. And But to the rest of the world, it seems to be chaotic. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. And so, I mean... I I hope your family is is doing well and healthy. I should start off with that too. It's it's odd to have to ask that to everyone I talk to, but I mean the reality is a lot of people are getting sick. Um, have you found this time like are are is are your kids at home now? Like is everyone packed in the house? Is this a difficult time to try to sit down and write and? record these uh, thoughts for your upcoming book? Oh, boy. I, I go back to the why we're actually on the, the podcast, the, the, the training for ultra. So I, I, I actually have to say that is a mindset that actually an- addresses the, the answer of what my family does and, and that mindset of, what is really going on in the world from an ultra mindset. And I, I guess the best way to say that is my family is, has adapted. My daughter was in her final year at West Point and now she's home. And my two boys were in school and now they're home. To me, it's like mile 50 of a hundred mile. It ain't, it's not going the way that I thought it was going to go. And I have to figure out how to deal with the next 50 miles and not do it the way that I originally planned it. So we adapted. 
and I've had the closest intimate time with my family that I could have ever thought possible because I just said, hell with it. The world changed. I better change now and just embrace where I am with my family. I love that answer. That's, that's incredible because it truly, when you're at mile 50, you can't go back and redo mile 40 when you, when you made that mistake, <laughs> whatever you did, what, yeah. Trying to go for a top 20 spot was not realistic, but you decided to do it. Yeah, you, you can't change the past. Um, yep. And so I, I just, I'm excited to talk to you because it's like, this is training for ultra. You know, what harder training block can you put forth than BUDS, SEAL training? Share with the listener some background on how that experience was for you. It doesn't seem like it was smooth. Uh, it's, you know, I, and I can't say that everybody looks at ultra marathon running or very complex environments the same way. Uh, Cause your experience and I am answering, I'm trying to answer it given I, I didn't have an easy time making it through training and and ultra marathons, not an easy time. And so I learned at a young age when I was, gosh, 20, 22, trying to make it through training. I started with one class and got injured. And then I went to another class and got injured in hell week. And then went to another class and got pneumonia. And then went to another class with pneumonia and tried to make it through and got kicked out of training. And then I made it back nine months later and made finally made it through SEAL training, which to me is what endears me to the endurance sports is that never give up mindset that is needed. And that was what I'd learned in SEAL training. As long as you don't give up, you'll figure things out. So why didn't you give up? I mean, even David Goggins has written about going through SEAL camp, like BUDS uh, training, like, I think he went through it three times. You went through it, you succeeded on your fifth try. Five, yeah, yeah. Why, why, after the fourth failure, did you not give up? Because I had failed out of West Point in English, and I figured that it can't get worse, and giving up would just take me back to a place that I didn't want to go. And so I I had given up on giving up. Not that I think, you know, failing in English was giving up, but I had already hit bottom. And now, you know, quitting and giving up for me means you got to go back to the bottom. And like, I'm not interested in that place. I would rather die than than go back there. And that mindset uh, has carried me through a lot of, you know, rough times to be what I think rather successful. Like I'm still alive and I, I call that successful. What what was it about the fifth time that got you through as opposed to the previous four? Did you learn uh, something? I wasn't mentally prepared and physically prepared when I first went there. And then once you get there, you're always, you know, injured somehow. And nobody makes it through training 
at the top of their athletic ability because you're beat down so far. So as long as you're in training, you never get to recover. And so that nine months, uh, it's kind of like doing an ultra marathon and, and screwing up on it and then go, okay, now I know exactly what I need to do. So I spent that nine months preparing myself physically and mentally to be able to, you know, sustain the effort to make it through training. So my my preparation was more on point when I went back, both mentally and physically. And I mean, which how, means triple down on everything. If you thought you know a hundred push-ups was enough to, you know, yeah, that's that's fascinating. So, um, how how does how did you? I mean, what lessons can you give us from Bud's training, and then? taking it further into SEAL Team 7 and and just all of that background, are there some lessons that you've learned that directly apply to the endurance world? Because it sounds like at BUDS you figured out how to kind of divor- divorce, can't talk, um, the physical pain and then the mental aspect and basically completely removing the physical and then it became solely mental. Is, is that fair enough to say? I don't think there's ever a divorcing of it. And I would have to ask you that question. Can you ever divorce yourself from the the pain in your legs and feet? You, uh, it doesn't yeah, really I mean, become, a, it's not a good divorce yeah. if you want to use that term. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I, I love that question because uh, making it through SEAL training, as you digest the, those experience over a 23-year career, the first thing that I would say that every ultra marathon marathoner knows, and maybe my saying it differently will make it occur differently, is uh, there's always more left, both physically and mentally. And you learn that in SEAL training. Like you hit your, your, your low limit on day one and you have six months left. And you realize that if you can just make it to the next day or the next tree or the next thing that is on the schedule and then make it to the next thing on the schedule, you have a better chance of working it out. And so like every ultra marathon runner knows that. Yeah. Dude, I just gonna I gotta make it to the next checkpoint. And so what why I started doing you know ultra distance or adventure racing uh, is because I missed that battle that happens within. And I had seen so much combat. I was an instructor in, uh, in probably 2001. And I wasn't going to go back into combat for the next four years. And I wanted to replace that, that battle within with something else. And it was the heyday of, of adventure racing when Eco Challenge was going on and Primal Quest. So I started competing heavily in, in adventure racing, which is multi-sport, swim, paddle, run, climb, bike, no sleep, terrible food. And you you learn to operate at a higher level by what I call basics better than anybody else. And to me, the second lesson of ultra marathon running is master the basics and don't do anything else other than basics and just do a lot of the, of the basics, which is my second point of 
learning that I teach leaders around the world is don't do anything advanced, just do the basics. And I, I what the third point why I got into ultra marathon running is I had broken my back a couple years before retirement, and the doctor said you'll never run again. So I said to hell with you, I'm going to go sign up for an ultra marathon. <laughs> and so I signed up without the ability to run 20 minutes. Wow! And uh, I did the Pacific Crest Trail 50. Gosh, I don't remember what year it was now. And uh, I did. I trained for it in three months and completed it in I think twelve hours. Twelve hours. That's amazing. And I mean, I I try to convey that kind of concept a lot of times to listener. Just you know, you're you're never going to be perfectly prepared for something, but when you sign up for it and it's on it's on your calendar, um, it's amazing how the whole world, your perspective on the world changes and you know, priorities shift around and, and you can kind of bend the world and make things happen. Sounds like that's what you became a master at, honestly. Yeah. The, the, I call that phenomenon, uh, commit before you know the solution and the solution will find itself. But if you're not committed, no solution will be helpful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I, I take that as not, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, people everywhere have that ability to commit without being capable. And then you'll learn capability as you go. Like your story is more remarkable than mine, how you went from where you were as a runner to where you are now. And that's totally remarkable. And anybody can do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, I think you nailed it down and we talked on, your podcast about that pretty extensively, just being a hundred percent committed to something. And then it's funny how everything just naturally, yeah, it, it fits into place over time. But yeah. Um, so after, you know, getting through buds and probably looking back on that experience and being like, well, that, that test was nice, but then I didn't really use, the vast majority of that, like in actual situations, how, how did real life experience out, um, you know, when lives are at stake, like that's the biggest thing is I can't imagine the level of pressure when you're in charge of a team and guys' lives are at stake. Um, what lessons though in real combat, did you find yourself then utilizing during these adventure races and ultras? I found them to be exactly the same. Uh, and what I mean by that is keep things but simple. And uh, it, it, combat is simple. It's very complex from the outside. But in, in the moment of high chaotic complex situations, uh, the simpler you make things, like simple things that you can do, like, you know, you can pull the trigger of your gun, but the brain doesn't want to do that because it looks at the entire elephant and says, I can't consume it. And then teaching guys to keep things simple and mundane and routine uh, at a physical level is the key to, uh, to me, not only 
running ultra marathons, but surviving combat. The side of it is you probably have a better way of explaining it than I do because of the, that you're constantly involved in, in your sport. Uh, but the brain doesn't want to deal with what it's physically encountering. And what endears me to ultra marathon runners everywhere. I think that's why everybody gets along well somewhat is they know that the battle is the mental battle. Like it doesn't want to feel the pain and how you can trick the mind into telling it it's going to, you can get to the next tree. I know you can, or, and all those simple things that the brain can do. And, you know, and sometimes it doesn't want to, it tells you you're done, you're broken and you're going to die. And you lay down in a puddle of despair and the people that don't or that quit on ultras don't, it's not that they're not physically prepared. They mentally can't endure what the brain has taken them through. Yeah. And that I, was all learned in combat. And all I applied in combat is keep it but simple. Keep it simple. And I, I, it I never seemed that. to be a, yeah. a leadership problem. I, I mean, knowing the basics too, like you said before, is so fundamental that we all kind of just forget about it. But nailing down how to do, and this is why we train, knowing how to do hydration and then how to do nutrition to just absolute 101, like how do I put food in my mouth and how do I keep my body from being over under hydrated? It's like so 101, mm -hmm. but then you can do next level thinking out on the uh, trail during the race. And I'm assuming same thing. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, in, in combat, you probably need those extra seconds. You can't fumble with the basics. Um, how I, I'm trying to think here. I had it. Um, <laughs> forgive me. I don't write down questions. Oh, that's fine. Um, I mean, you did how many, how many ultras and how many adventure races? Cause I know your very first ultra, this was detailed in the book was like a 700 mile adventure race. Is that right? Yeah, the f well, the first one I did was the Southern Traverse in New Zealand that I didn't put in the book. Uh, but the one that I describe in Unbreakable was uh, a the race called the Primal Quest out of Lake Tahoe. So totally, I did expedition races, which are 300 miles or more, or more than three days. I had done 10, and I did probably 25 48-hour races, which are between 100 and uh, 250 miles. And then when I started running Ultra, which I, I, I love it because it, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I, I don't know if that is what all Ultra marathoners love about it, but I can't quite figure it out. And that enthralls me with man if i would have just known that b before the race so the next race you solve the problem that you solved the race before and the next race you solve the problem that you have in training and that you've been trying to resolve and i've never been able to say okay that worked out beautifully and i love that mindset of don't do things that are simple that you already know how to do do things that are so complex that 
you're kind of scared of getting involved in. And that's why I keep running ultras because I can't freaking figure it out. There, yeah, there is no perfect ultra finish, really. I mean, even Jim Walmsley setting course records at States, he probably found, you know, a few areas of improvement for next time. And that's about as flawless as a hundred miler can go. Um, yep. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I was, I was taken aback, uh, cause at Tahoe 200, one of my crew was, uh, his name was Paul or is Paul. And I think he was on seal team six. He was, he was special ops of some sort. And mm-hmm, he, he's not a runner, but he loves, um, you know, backpacking and the trails and whatnot. And he was so excited at the kind of like controlled chaos. And then like having, he saw like getting to the next aid station is like a mini mission. He felt like a lot of that came back to him. Like he was still out there. Um, And so I'm assuming a lot of that, I mean, you've been trained and you're a master at handling uh, problem solving on the fly. I mean, is there any kind of checklist that you have when you're out there during a race, um, you know, and you have a problem to try to make sure in the chaos of the situation, you're not skipping over some fundamental basic thing that you could be, uh, you know, having a problem with? Well, no, I would ask you cause you have done it better than me. So I, I do. So, and it's a, uh, I would call my checklist written in crayon by a kid, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I, I try to, to take what I've learned from, you know, both combat and, and business development and dealing with my kids and, and, and trying to retire and start a new career. Uh, I, I apply that in ultra marathon running by how simple can I make this? And how small the bites of a hundred or fifty miler can I take and digest? And I swear to God, I can't get past the first aid station mentally. Like I can't think about, okay, I have hundred miles to do, and by mile sixty, I should be at this pace. When I think like that, I, I, I cripple myself. Yeah. So mentally, and I, I wish somebody would help me with it. And I've had a bunch of ultra coaches go, boy, well, you can make it to the first checkpoint. I can't even make it that far. <laughs> and uh, so I, I always, my first thing that I think of is don't worry about anybody else. Yeah. And like at the beginning of the race, not like be isolated, but let them take whatever pace they want and take the pace that you need right now. And, uh, you know, maybe if I was a, could run an eight minute mile for a hundred miles, I would think differently, but the 12 to 15 minute range, I, I try to maintain. And, uh, so I think, okay, I'm just going to run my race. And then all I think about, gosh, for most of the race, like structurally is soft foot placement. And that was through the coaching of a, a really great ultra marathon runner that, uh, was an old guy that taught me several years ago that I wrote about in my, in my book called three simple things. And that experience of keep it so stupid that you can do when you're tired. Uh, and, uh, he taught structure, you know, foot placement, foot placement, foot placement, foot placement. I'm like, it's gotta be something else. He goes, yeah, there's something else. It's called foot placement, foot placement. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it, you got to tell me some other things to work on. He goes, yeah, I'm going to tell you something else. Ready? Write this down. Foot placement, foot placement, foot placement. 
And he goes, don't worry about anything else. And I spent a week with him and that's all he said. And at the end, I'm like, okay, so if I spend another week with you, you're going to teach me something else? He goes, yeah, yeah, maybe, but it's ultimately going to be foot placement. If you can control where your feet hit over time, you'll do rather well. And I've taken that. I don't know if he was smart when he said it, but boy, when I focus on the simple foot placement, not how I feel, not what my butt feels like or, or, you know, I do think about hydration, but I, I use that as a diet, a dietary checklist, not a physical checklist. And hey, boy, that just keeping things simple. Yeah. I couldn't agree help me out. Yeah. I mean, it really allows you to handle bigger, bigger kind of higher level situations that could arise. Um, I, I couldn't agree more though on just practicing the basics and then keeping it simple. I mean, it's it's funny because I've I've never talked to anyone that's harped on it that much, but I've not talked to many Navy SEALs so <laughs> um, yeah. that are also adventure ultra runners. So that's it's really awesome to hear. Um, and yeah, you know, we were talking offline. You know the uh, and you know you'd mentioned Dave Goggins and I I'd never I have not talked to him about how he approaches ultras, but I can tell you it's a mantra for him. And it's a, probably a very simple mantra, you know, kill and eat everybody in front of you. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's simple. Whatever he's thinking about is very simple for him. And it's not complex. It's very simple that he can create a mantra over and then hammer that for hours and hours and hours into his head. So before you do a race, do you visualize things? Are you visualizing outcomes and scenarios? Um or are you just just keeping it, uh, you know, focused on the very first few few miles of the race, the first aid station? Are you actually going through things in your head at all? Logistically, I plan the details. Just you know, organizationally, like okay, so you know, what am I going to do for the next two days after the completion of the race? Yeah, you know, getting a hotel set up and not having it be something that is on my mind in the middle of the race. Who's going to be there? What clothes? All that logistics, I think, is simple that everybody does. Like plan the, you know, the entire race logistically. What I'm going to want to eat, all that stuff. But that's not what I think about uh, in training or during the race. Like, I don't want to think about logistics. I don't want to think is Mary, is Mary going to beat me at such and such and worrying about that? I I don't care. I I kid you not. I was running during an ultra and forgot to check into my flight and got an alert on my phone. And I'm, I'm literally running, pulled up the Southwest app and checked into my flight. (laughs) I'll never forget. It was, it wasn't, um, Black Canyon this year. I think it's last year, but I had to check into my flight as I was on the trail running, which was bizarre. Never done that before. Yeah, and, th- and those things I try to make as distractors and try not to pay attention to them. Uh, and, you know, but, you know, that's if you have the capability of doing that, uh, my hat's off to you. I, I, I have to keep things very simple. No, I, uh, and I, I, I keep I try to force myself to simple. Um, so 
during actual your decades of missions um, and, and always being prepared for whatever, you know, the unknown, whatever phone call you get and have to fly out somewhere. What, um, I mean, what kind of training were you guys doing? I mean, we hear about BUDS and SEAL training, but we don't hear about like the day-to-day lives of those guys. And a lot of them want to do 200s, I've heard, but they can't because you don't want to crush yourself and not be prepared to go do whatever if president calls on it or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which I, th- I think is fascinating. Some of the best ultra runners in the whole world aren't even allowed to race, really. <laughs> um, what kind of training were you guys doing? I mean, was it mostly gym? And no. Was it? No, not at all. Was it mission-specific so, uh, training? Yeah, so here's the, the life of a, an operator in a SEAL team. It's different than when you're an instructor and it's different when you're in a leadership role, like, you know, working out of an office. So what everybody thinks SEALs are is a, is a SEAL on a SEAL platoon. So the life of somebody in a SEAL platoon is probably three weeks out of every month. You're traveling, doing uh, mission-specific training. And the, all the training is designed around teaching the basics and then giving you scenarios that are completely unwinnable. So the, the training, which I think endears me to ultra, uh, other than running, if all you do is just run in a nice, comfortable environment, don't go to an ultra because it's going to go bad very quickly. So uh, the, the SEAL training is recognizing that we're not going to teach you to be comfortable. We're going to teach you to be completely miserable mentally and physically all the time. And everything is failure-oriented, so you do something and push it to its complete extreme to expose all the problems that you have, both physically, mentally, leadership-wise, and teamwork-wise. So you push something until somebody explodes, and then you come back, address that problem, and then you push another problem until it explodes. And that's the day-to-day life, but it's outside in the elements with the equipment that you need and that you're supposed to have working through real problems that are not solvable. Like you'll never come up with a solution. Interesting. And that mindset is, a, was a wonderful bridge between the seal way of living and attempting, you know, even a 50 mile or a 50 K with a broken back was I'm like, okay, it's fucked up. What am I going to do? I can walk. I can kind of run uphill. I can kind of, and then keep keeping it simple made it made it easy for me to digest. That's fascinating. Um, I mean, are you finding yourself, or have you found yourself after adventure races and ultras, detailing what didn't go right out of like habit, so that you can go back? Because my guess is a lot of those ultras exploded in the extreme in some way and kind of went back to the drawing board like would you actually detail it or did you are you you keeping perspective and making sure like you're just enjoying these type of races well this may not be helpful so I, i i only look at the things that went wrong and uh i don't know if that's the right mindset to have 
like uh, things that went well, like uh, a beautiful vision on a trail. I can't recall that later in the race, like the great moments where you come over, uh, you know, you come up to a peak and the, the sunset is awesome or coming around a corner, you see somebody, you know, and all you get really excited. I like, I can't remember those to the point where I can train myself to recapture them, but I can definitely remember not doing something and noticing in the race. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't have to do that now. It won't hurt me. And then later in the race, you're like, dude, you knew not to do that. And you did it. You just, you ate pizza. You hadn't tried that before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the the worst experience that I had was so fundamental that I, I I could kill myself for doing it. Twenty five miles, uh, and it was a race that I didn't complete. Uh, the Bear out of Utah. Yeah, I, I get to the and it starts out snowing, and we are at I guess nine thousand feet and had to climb up to ten five. Like the first no, the, the first five miles was five thousand foot of gain. So it, there ain't no running involved in it, and it was snowing. And I remember how peaceful that was. Going, oh, that was pretty cool, and it was cold. And by the time we got to the top, all my clothes were frozen. I'm like, well, this really isn't running. This is survival. And at the 25-mile mark, it was 70 degrees and sunny. And that temperature changed. I knew in the back of my mind, even though you feel good, you should probably stop here and let your body acclimate. And I didn't. I grabbed some stuff off the table and hard charged the next checkpoint. And I wasn't ready for the heat. And I wasn't drinking properly because I felt good. And I just missed all those simple points. So for the next 30 miles, I had, you know, and everybody listening, I had diarrhea and puking every hour on the hour. Like it was a timer. I'm like, oh, it must be the next hour. And I got to the, I think, 68-mile point, and the a doctor, doctors were watching me, and they're like, hey, you got to pee before you can leave this checkpoint. So I ate really well for three hours, and I couldn't pee. And they're like, if you keep going, you're going to do damage to yourself. So I pulled myself from the race because I had made a stupid-ass mistake. Yeah. But you're definitely an ultra runner if, you, if you've had that type of an experience, that's for sure. I mean, I've, but that's the weird part. I loved that. Oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to quit at the next checkpoint. And then you get there, you're like, you know, I feel okay. I'm going to quit at the next one. And so that was yeah. a series of like 15 checkpoints that had I found a way to get out of that race, I would have. And that experience to me is so freaking exciting. Like, I don't care about coming in first. I'm at the age point where ever coming in first again is, is not on the table. But those deep experiences into your soul are so illuminating to me exactly. that I find a new yeah. section of me that I never found every race that I've gone on. I mean, I'm, I'm not young, but I'm not old, and I'm still <laughs> enjoying the heck out of ultra running from middle of the pack. So um, couldn't agree more. I mean— so this is a weird question. Don't take offense to it because you sure. have such a huge Navy background, Navy SEAL background. I've heard kind of through the grapevine that hydration isn't like trained well. Like, cause I, I had people send me, I don't know, things like that were over the urinals 
you know, not confidential or anything like that, but just 101 type, uh, like hydration training. Like, had you guys been through that, like on a real detailed level? Like, let's say they're flying you out to the jungle. Like, are you, are you just following basically a, like a regiment there? Or are you being trained how to listen closely to your body on how to balance electrolytes? But I hope you're not offended. I just, I've heard that. No, that's my biggest weak point, And there is no conversation at, of hydration in the teams at all, other than drink as Water. much as you can all the time, because it's going to run out and it runs out all the time on you. So you go from, super hydration to not having water. There's no water. Yeah. Like I've been on missions, uh, that ran out of water at nine o'clock in the morning and it's 120 degrees and you don't get water until nighttime. Yeah. So that's my weakest point. Like me dialing in nutrition, uh, is so exciting to me because it's, it's the weak point that I have. I mean, we both know you can, I mean, <laughs> from my Moab 240 type races, but you can go a long time without food, but without water and proper hydration, I mean, it just doesn't matter at all. Um, I, I almost see hydration as the foundation to ultra running. Like if you can't get your hydration levels kind of next order as fundamental, like first principle, second principle, like, um, food i mean there's no way you can digest properly and then it just seems like it's downward spiral regardless of your i mean your ability can take you so far but once you get into whole days of running or being on your feet um just my opinion but i i've heard no it. i agree with that that's what's that's what i remember you saying during our, our earlier podcast that that's one of your focal points and I'm like, oh my God, that's so simple. Why? And literally, I thought, why haven't I just focused on hydration? Because it has been my biggest detriment every race is not having that dialed in. I mean, it's like, hard to have going diarrhea by feel, if if you're going by feel is the deficit. Like I never get it dialed in because uh, I can avoid that. Or oh, I ran out, I drank too much. Two hours to the next checkpoint or whatever it is, I'll figure it out there. And then you're already at a deficit, so. I just suffer. I can suffer really well. Yeah. Um, did did your training throughout decades focus on food? Was there was there anything? I don't know. I new. There's a new fad like every year or two. So, uh, I mean, was there a recommended? dietary kind of like instruction book for you guys or was it was each guy doing their own thing and it was just not really a big deal it was the same as hydration is learn to deal with whatever you have because you know in you don't have the ability to dial in like you can in a predetermined ultra marathon where you can you have checkpoints and you have food drops or you can carry food because in the in the teams uh, in combat, you, you can carry whatever you want. But if you carry too much, you can't move. So uh, literally, it's deal with it. Yeah. Be tougher physically and mentally 
during times when uh, you can't dial things in. And that's that's the, the that's also the intriguing element of ultra marathon running is <coughs> excuse me <coughs> is just another weakness that you can f- figure out. Yeah. Excuse me. No, I I think that's that's really fascinating. I mean, think I would think ideally being fat adapted, you get less calories to carry because you already have calories on your body, and um, it would probably be most efficient, but. I mean, who knows? And and I do like I've heard lots and lots of people say that through their training, they're practicing as if they have their own personal like aid station at home and trying to work with what they have and being dynamic on that front is huge. Um, and then, I mean, last question related to trying to kind of bridge your experience um, in the SEALs to then endurance Mm -hmm. in like the physical sense would be gear i mean were you training in exactly what you were planning to do missions in was that like 100 percent for weeks on end you would know almost i exactly what you'd be uh wearing you know with with an understanding you got to be dynamic to the situation but well the, that was the, that was the part that the teams did better than anything else is you only train with what you're going to take into combat so the the gear gets dialed in so that you don't even know that it's there anymore but if something happens your fingers go right to it so the gear and the uh I just, you know, the, the gear is the most dialed in aspect of training. Uh, and taking that into the ultra thing is, uh, I, I only train with the stuff that I'm going to take and like food, aid station stuff. Uh, don't carry something that you're not going to carry in a race. Don't train with poles. If you're not going to carry them, if you're going to carry them, carry them the whole time when it's convenient and so that was the easier part but the dialing in of food and hydration was not what they taught in the teams but what they taught in the teams that i think endears a lot of ultra marathon runners to running is the mental toughness that you get every time you go out and do a long run or a a race that is what the team's harped on is the toughness side of it like the don't quit on yourself keep things simple don't get down on yourself Uh, and what i liked about the teams that i've adapted into ultra running is it's a hell of a lot easier to endure tough times with somebody else yeah doing doing solo things is a whole different element of toughness but if you do something tough with somebody else it takes the the edge off and you can do a lot more for longer periods of time and that's the mantra of the team says you never you're never alone and always support your buddy before you deal with yourself and so i i like that aspect of ultra marathon running as well i mean tell me more about the the mental aspect of sleep deprivation like do you have because you've endured that a lot during combat and then also adventure racing a lot of those are days on end Mm -hmm. how do you 
is there a way to actually train for sleep deprivation or is it more just being very methodical with a planned 15 minute sleep breaks? Like did, did the seals train micro naps? Cause we've heard more and more about those as 200 milers explode in popularity. The, so you learn, uh, I guess hard and fast rules. The body cannot go without sleep for more than five days without shutting down. I believe so that. that's what health <laughs> is about. So it, it will, whether you want to or not, literally on the second after second click of the hand of the clock after five days of constant being awake, your body shuts down. Like your brain will go, hey, buddy, you're sleeping right where you are, whether you're standing or not. And your organs begin to shut down systematically. So they take you to that extreme to tell you what the extreme level is, which uh, with an extreme level, you don't ever go there again. So you can't go close to it. So that's one of the lessons of sleep deprivation is, okay, we've taught you the limit. Don't get close to it. The other one is uh, the first sleep limit is the circadian rhythm. So when the, when the sun goes down, uh, you're going to get your biggest sleep impulse on day one. Mm-hmm. And you've probably experienced that when the sun goes down. You're like, whoa, it it's a whole different world. And it gets cold. Temperature has an impact on it. Yes. And so that, that's what they teach you is be cognizant when the sun goes down what happens. Because your brain starts going into different, you know, wanting to go to sleep cycles and it sees colors differently and, and be conscious of it. And what they do, what they tell you to do is during that transition time from, and I, I've applied this in running, when it goes from either darkness till to daylight or daylight to darkness, don't run through it. Like actually take that break that you were going to have an hour later, take it right now. Literally sit down, let your body adjust to the transition, and once it transitions the light, then get up and run into the dark or run into the light like it's real. And uh, that transition time uh, can be detrimental. If you push through it, you'll get a what I call what's known. I, I guess it's known as a lag time. You're not used to what happened, and you're thinking different thoughts, and you're not processing things well, and that's where big mistakes are made during that, that, that transition to light cycle. And then the 48 hour mark is another big mark. Uh, if you don't get a, like a micro sleep, you're, you're not going to think the proper thoughts. That's when usually the 24 hour mark is hallucinations. If it's still dark, you'll hallucinate at the 48 hour mark it's not hallucinations that pink elephant is real <laughs> and your body interprets what you see is real at the 48 hour mark without sleep but a 15 minute sleep will kill that exactly yeah i i can agree more just out of experience like i always mark my sleep at got a nap before 35 hours or things get weird um yeah. for me 35 and then i would do like an hour type sleep and then I could go probably another 24 hours, but, uh, I mean, is there a minimum sleep threshold that you guys were trained on for multi-day situations? No, but what, what they actually teach you to do 
not like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to, to do this. They teach you how quickly to get into sleep by making you so tired and then giving you, okay, we're going to reconvene in 30 minutes. So your ability to immediately get into restorative sleep, uh, the SEALs are geniuses. They, they can go into restorative sleep, which normally takes an hour and a half, in like three seconds. Yeah. And so I, 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 I kind of wish ultra marathon runners that do more than the 12 hour would learn how to turn that shit off and collapse on the side of the trail and not be on the planet for 30 minutes and real restorative, not stage one sleep, which is just the mental sleep, but where you're getting restorative sleep. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's trained. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was going to say, I, I, from just firsthand experience, it's, you can actually train yourself to do that, which is kind of bizarre. I've, I've heard stories of some of the seals being able to mentally train themselves to work, work on problems in their sleep, which is like, I don't, I don't know if that's real or not, but, um, I, I luckily have not learned that yet. (laughs) I like to, uh, not have real life thoughts during my sleep most of the time. Um, but I, I appreciate all your time here. I wanted to ask you a few last questions on your upcoming book. I mean, your, your previous books been a, a bestseller and I fully expect your next one will be also. And it's, it's timely too. leading during chaos. I mean, is that going to be the title going forward? I, I think I pre-ordered yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, titled three simple things leading during chaos. And, uh, it's a process and methodology to literally perform better in five areas. You're, your physical health area, your intellectual capacity, which is the second area, your ability to get paid for what you do. I call it wealth, which is the third area. And then the fourth and fifth are the key relationships you have, how to actually make them growth-centered as opposed to where they currently are with most people. And then your your spiritual growth area. So it's a process and method of doing three simple things per area. It ends up being a six hour non-negotiable day that you have for the rest of your life that you're on point by doing simple things in each of those five areas. And I've trained 180 clients now to acquire a six hour day. And, uh, it's a, it's a lethal effective a practice. And oddly enough, uh, I've personally trained, uh, 18 air, ultra marathon runners to go from couch to ultra marathon runner in six months by doing simple things. Nice. I, I like, um, having kind of read the back cover type right up in, in the, uh, the phrase, the methods are simple, but not easy. It's like such a deep sentence. Um, I, I love it. I can't wait to read it. I definitely think there'll be some huge takeaways that I can utilize during endurance races. Um, and I, I, again, I appreciate your time. I wanted to ask your thoughts on the eco challenge. I, I hear they're bringing it back. It's going to be on Amazon probably sometime, hopefully during summer. We'll see. Um, 
have you done the eco challenge before and like how do you see adventure racing down the line in the future like have has everything that's taken place now is that going to take a few years for adventure racing to get back to where it was just because taking a flight to different countries is it's going to be a little bit more challenging I don't know. So the reason why long ago, so in the 90s, adventure racing was in its heyday, probably because it was new. It lost its luster because of the amount of effort, money, and time it took to even coordinate a race. And Eco Challenge was a uh, the second of a big race not series, but it was a, the original race was called Raid Galois, which was a French-oriented race. And then Eco Challenge brought it all into the limelight. But uh, it, it's I'm because I had bought the 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 race called Primal Quest and tried to get it off the ground. It's just so difficult to actually make money doing it. Mm-hmm. And so the business side of it is pretty hard to overcome. But I, I wish that uh, it, it would take root because the ultra community that currently exists would literally dominate the races. Yeah. And uh, it would allow them to, instead of running 600 miles on foot, to have other ways to participate in, in endurance events other than on your feet. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's an exciting realm. It's something I want to toy with in the future. Um, I was, if I wasn't doing the Triple Crown last year, I was really, really interested in the Eco Challenge. It's slightly expensive, but like you said, just to put on the events isn't really a profit-making venture. So yeah. I, I still think someone will figure that out. And that's, I, I think Adventure Racing's biggest years are actually possibly in front of i mean in the coming years so well you know the they used to run a a bunch of series of small either 24-hour multi-sport races or 48-hour balance bar was one of them and then uh the raid series was another one and they weren't expensive but they were exciting and you paddled and you climbed and you biked and you ran and and the teams were all you know eager to you know partake in them and they filled up all the time bringing back those is what i would look to somebody to figure out first vice the big expeditionary races that uh i don't think the i don't think will take root immediately well tom i really appreciate your time i know you're a busy guy you just got off a previous call before talking to me i wanted to end on Kind of a, a, a goofy question that hopefully will be entertaining. We'll see where this goes. During 20 <laughs> years of sleep deprivation, just extreme missions, what is the weirdest Navy hallucination, Navy SEAL hallucination you ever had? A comical one, hopefully. I mean... Oh uh, gosh, there's so many. I'm going <laughs> to drag one out that I could actually explain. Uh, I was in Afghanistan summer of 2009, 
and uh, we were on a 48-hour mission, and it was the second night. So the sun goes down, and with nods on, like night optic, you know, lenses in our that you wear on your head that you can, when you like, like when you're running ultras and you look up to the stars and it's a clear night, you're like, wow, look at all the stars. When you put on nods times a thousand, really, like there's so many stars up there, and I remember looking up thoroughly exhausted and having a dream that I was being chased and going through a wormhole by my daughter of all people. <laughs> and, and I'm like, gosh, I said, Autumn, stop chasing me. The enemy's going to kill us. And she's like, dad, I'm, I'm learning how to run. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about learning how to run? And, uh, it was just the weirdest out of place. And it, it, I could, I can't even describe the details, but it was so out of place that she finally caught me and, and we had a really frank discussion that I cannot remember the details. And I just remember saying, Autumn, I love you and thank you for, you know, all the years that we've spent together. And I remember thinking at the time, what the hell am I talking about? I know I'm not here. <laughs> and then we like warped back through this warp tunnel together. And I woke up on this roof and I looked at my buddy and I'm like, hey, where did my daughter go? And he's like, dude, you need to just sit back down. Your daughter's not here. I'm like, I swear to God, she was just here. And I remember smelling her like in the air back on the roof. And I'm like, okay. Oh, that's something weird. Something very odd here. And I, I, I have those things, you know, every hundred miler at night, I'm like, I have those weird warp tunnels that I get into. I'm like, boy, I'm on Pluto. Is that an animal over there? Or is that a, a, a creature or an alien? And then yeah. I warp back through this tunnel. And that's my experience of sleep deprivation is I get warped and warped back through. And it's a, it's a weird birthing thing. I don't know what it is. That's fascinating. That's, that's crazy that it happens to people. I mean, you guys, you might be SEAL Team 6 or 7 or, you know, wherever you are, whatever team. You're still people. You still have basic needs and you also you know when you don't get that sleep you have hallucinations so that's crazy to hear that you have that during missions and then also obviously during during races also but i appreciate you sharing that story and and tom where can people find your book where can they follow you on social media well it's up on amazon now it's uh <clears throat> the release date is april 28th uh, three simple things leading during chaos and you can and i very uh, I, I respond pretty quickly on facebook on tom shea and uh on tomshea.com where you can also track what we're doing i appreciate your time tom thanks for joining me thank you sir and that was episode 131. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Tom for taking so much of his time. Thanks again to Ryan for all the work he's putting into the TV show and sharing his race idea for Aravite the Strong that's coming up April 17th already. Check that one out. Big thank you to the show sponsors, Kogala, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Destination Trail, and Patreon supporters. Again, I'm going to try to involve you guys in one of the upcoming episodes. It's going to be almost you know call a handful of people and, and just chat ultra running with you guys so i think it would be fun and uh, insightful for all of us so 
look forward to doing that and I'll, I'll share my air vipa strong experience next week so have fun out there be safe if you can get out and uh yeah see you guys next week